Welcome back to Caracast, the podcast from Carasoft, the trusted government IT solutions provider. Subscribe to get the latest technology updates in the public sector. I'm Anthony Jimenez, your host from the Carasoft production team. On behalf of GovExec and Carasoft, we would like to welcome you to today's podcast, focused around FedRAMP. Listen in as our panel discusses the role of authorization in hybrid and cloud environments. My name is Troy Schneider. I am the president of GovExec 360. The focus of this panel is the role of authorization in hybrid cloud environments. And we've got a great panel here today. Immediately to my right is Tutu Owade, who is the um, acting deputy director of the audit division at the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Sitting in the middle, we have Joshua Stoltz. Joshua is with NIH, where he's the cloud operation and security team lead. And then uh, Lauren Russell uh, is with Ping Identity. Lauren is a senior vice president for, for product management. And thanks to all three of you for being part of this conversation. Thanks, so I want to, um, I gave names and titles, but let's start just a little bit with the work you do and how it fits into this conversation about authorization and the FedRAMP program more broadly. And, and uh, Lauren, we'll start with you there. Yeah, thanks, Troy. So Lauren Russin, I've been at Ping for over 12 years and um, started in the identity business. And when we say identity, it's really how do you build trust of user in authenticating and accessing systems. And as we've matured as a company, it's how do you go from you know, allowing someone in and developing their trust to allow them into your door, and then where authorization fits is that resource protection side. What do I allow them to do? How can I protect them getting access to data or getting access to network? How it relates to this conversation is really those are the underpinnings if you ask Ping in a true FedRAMP or a zero trust solution is look at identity first. How can I, again, trust the device, trust the user, and the application that they're accessing then protect that? Great, thank you. And uh, Lauren, same question to you. Or, I'm sorry, not Lauren, Joshua, same question to you. Talk a little bit about the work that you're doing at, at NIH and sort of how it fits into the, um, you know, to the challenge of securing hybrid cloud. Yeah, so my team, we oversee the cloud operations and security uh, for AWS, GCP, and Azure for the core infrastructure for NIH. So we already put together, like, the federation so they can use their identities across. And uh, then each institute can then use the infrastructure that's already in place and then build their own systems. Okay, very good. And Tutu, a uh, little bit about, about the work at FEMA. Tell us uh, about your role. Uh, I lead the IT audit division. We offer support to our system owners who are leveraging um, cloud services and need to be audited. Um, as it relates to FedRAMP, it's providing advice on how to build their own system packages, do continuous monitoring, ensure that they're tailoring their controls appropriately, um, offer security solutions when IT security issues arise. Mm -hmm. Very good. And it the, the topic of this is about authorization in the hybrid cloud environment. Let's talk a little bit about, about FEMA's environment, which obviously FEMA's mission is, um, is a fairly unique one, and it, and it has some special mission requirements. So talk just a, a little bit about, about the operating environment and, and how that plays into the cloud security challenges. Okay, we, we have a good mix of on-prem cloud, definitely hybrid environments. Um, we, our mission is to help people before, during, and after disasters. And so the IT infrastructure has to be able to adapt to meet the mission mm -hmm. when there's a need. Um, so we have systems that have been birthed in the cloud. We have legacy systems that are on-prem. We have um, systems that have migrated to the cloud. 
We are able to, um, we are looking to expand our cloud footprint and bring more services to the cloud, even are ready to partner with um, vendors who have services that are not currently listed in the federal marketplace. Um, so it's a good mix of on-prem. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a hybrid environment for sure. Okay, good. And, and Joshua, what about, uh, what about NIH? What, talk a little bit at a high level about the environment and maybe some of the, the, the special challenges that come with your mix of services. Well, NIH has 27 institutes and centers, so it's kind of almost like 27 different companies in a way. <laughs> However, we share one single identity provider under NIH.gov. So we set up a, a single Azure tenant, a single GCP org, uh, and then we did set up an AWS org that would allow everyone to use their same identity across. Uh, and um, then we, did, we authorized the base infrastructure. So we set up the core um, security requirements and connections back to um, on-prem through Direct Connects, uh, and then we provide them accounts or subscriptions or projects to be able to do their work. Okay. And Lauren, the, um, uh, you work with, with agencies uh, uh, across government, and, and I know we were talking before this call about you know, the importance of getting, you know, getting visibility, getting down to the, the granular level. As, as you were hearing those high-level descriptions, uh, you know, how does, that, how does that square with what you're seeing with other clients and maybe some of the, the steps that you take with them to, to figure out how to approach the authorization challenge? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And I remember it was probably seven years ago I had a product manager and we were talking about authorization. And he said, so Lauren, what really sits behind an app or an API? And I thought about it and I thought, it's service. And he says, no, it isn't. It's data. And it really is just data sits behind every access point, and it's data that we think is important to protect. And so when we talk about authorization at that granularity, it's really, you know, you've got to do the, the gating. So how do you let them through the front door, through firewalls, and how do you put the right network segmentation to be able to get to that data, but really you're you know, trying to protect all the way into that, that gate. And then you've got to decide, how do I want to share that data? So now I'm at the data layer, and I've got regulations that may, you know, be something that I'm in a region that I can't share personal information, or maybe they're the person that you're sharing the information is 18 or under 18, and so you have to control that data. And so if you really think about it, you know, if you can get to the granularity, meaning protect all the way in, and then you now have to protect the data out, you can get to a very granular way, and you can even determine how that information is shared. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really, it works in tandem. In fact, Joshua, Joshua and I were talking this morning, it isn't a you know, identity or network security is how do they work together. Exactly. Yeah, Joshua, I mean, how does that, that focus on granularity, how does that play into, into the work that you're doing and, um, and trying to, you know, trying to find the right authorization solutions? Well, it's interesting because at NIH we have petabytes of data out yeah. there, but it can't just, it can't just give you access to all of it. Right. Because there's certain patient consents and things that they agree to. So, uh, you have to you know, manage that data more granularly and to understand what it is and then who can actually access it. Because mm -hmm. uh, you, you, know, you don't want to break a patient's trust, obviously. Yeah, and I, I feel like we should have a, the equivalent of a swear jar where you put money in when you <laughs> mention zero trust. But uh, you know, what you were just, uh, you know, what you're just saying sort of goes to that, uh, to that zero trust principle of how do you, you, know, how do you find the right way to, uh, to manage access to that data and the, and the right... Uh, Segmentation. I wonder if you know if the government-wide push for zero trust is um, is forcing you to um, 
sort of recalibrate your efforts or if it's really just uh, um, kind of putting the official seal of approval on, on what you were already working toward. Well, I think it reinforces it, but Lauren and I were talking earlier about what is zero trust at the beginning of it. So what are we talking about? Because some people think zero trust is, well, I'm going to put a firewall there. And that's not necessarily the answer, because zero trust is more around the identity and authorization of, do I have access? Mm -hmm. The analogy I use is if you're going down 270, you know, you, you have the ability to get off at exit two, but maybe Lauren can get off at exit three, and I can't. But if you put a firewall, it's going to be like getting on the turnpike. It's, you pay a toll. <laughs> You're not going to be able to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. So you got to understand what are you trying to do. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and Tutu, anything you want to add on how, how FEMA is trying to, to manage access, particularly at, at that data level or, or, you know, or for API access into certain systems? No, well, for us, we are at the tail end of a proof of concept mm -hmm. for a modernized identity solution. Um, we're moving away from that legacy solution where um, different programs can access different systems or resources in very different ways. And so once proven, um, it's, it's an iterative process. And so with that subset of systems, once proven, we apply to a next set of systems and a next set of systems. Um, our data strategy was released a few months ago, and we know that anyone with a legitimate need for FEMA data or um, uh, federal data needs to be able to access that seamlessly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, that is, I feel like my thought question is a little bit simplistic, but the, you know, the challenge of making sure that the, the access is there while the security is, um, particularly when you're dealing with such broad data sets, mm -hmm. is, um, uh, is hard to wrap one's head around. I, is there anything else you can speak to about how you're trying to make sure that you're protecting the sensitive data while, um, uh, while making sure that you're not impairing the mission? I mean, application segmentation, workload segmentation, we have um, CISA's zero trust maturity model in one hand and our roadmap in another. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll, we're going to keep chugging along to success, but I think um, leveraging that, creating a roadmap to mm -hmm. success um, in small steps um, will be beneficial. And so if you are able to isolate segments of data, you have, um, you can have more granular. This is where fine-grained authorization comes in, right? Um, you're able to segment data that's more sensitive. You can apply more stringent security measures so that um, you're truly applying least privilege um, where needed. Mm -hmm. And Lauren, I know um, uh, you have some thoughts on how to, to properly approach application segmentation. Yeah, like there's the network approach to application segmentation that's really looking at your data set and saying, what's general? What do I need to protect under a generalized policy? And then what's very specific, as Tutu said? And I think if you look at application segmentation from the network standpoint, you segment it based on IP address to get down to where you have a level of protection. And then if you go to that next level down, then you're in that same conversation we had before of, you know, I've got to trust the person to get in. So again, trust the user, trust the device and the application that are accessing. And then you can segment even further down to say, okay, what data set um, do I want to put in there? And uh, if I could, just from a framework standpoint, I really liked a standard that was called Zacamole. And it brought this notion that you had centralized administration and decisioning because that allowed me to then have an organization have control over the policy, 
and then you decentralize the enforcement and information. So if you imagine that I've got a centralized, you know, policy that handles that generalized data, and then I can do enforcement at a very granular level, that's where the hybrid comes in as well. You can even do enforcement in a cloud for an application that sits there versus something that might be in a SaaS. And so, um, long story short is just to say, if you could segment the data, find generalized policies, then go very specific and look at how to centralize and decentralize that enforcement, mm -hmm. I think is Joshua, key. I see you you're nodding there. Anything you want to add? Well, so as Warren said earlier, behind his applications is data. Mm -hmm. So I think a little bit different approach when we start talk, talking about cloud is you have petabytes of data that now you're bringing those applications to compute to, where traditionally we download data and yeah. compute upon them locally or in another area. Mm -hmm. So we got to look at it a little bit different when you don't always have the ability to secure the application, right? You have to secure your data to make sure it can't be taken because they're going to be bringing that compute up to you. I mean, a petabyte of data can't just be moved. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> you, you, you got to think about a little differently about how those applications are now being introduced to your data and how to protect it. Yeah. And I'm going to ask two questions that, that could take the whole panel if we're not careful. Uh, given that need, uh, you know, how, what sort of high-level changes is that requiring about your overall security posture to, to prepare for bringing the compute to those data sets? And then coming back to the FedRAMP topic, are there, you know, are there things about the, the shared controls that go into FedRAMP authorization that are helping with this? Or are there places where, like, ow, oh, FedRAMP gets really hard when you're talking about that use case? So, well, <laughs> it's a loaded question, but I, yeah. what I'll say is this, is that, uh, that the authorization is key to that because you got to authorize them for those particular set yeah. pieces of data and you're going to need, need to make sure that they can't, you know, replicate or take the data, right? Mm -hmm. So it's got to, and so they're a trusted identity that they can compute upon it, look at it, learn from it, but not change it, no. um, which is key because traditionally we would just say, have, here you go, have access. And now right. we're looking at more of a least privilege mentality. You can just read it or look at it. Mm -hmm. You can't move it. Yeah. Okay. Good. And, and, and Tutu, you def defining and, and then tracking the metrics around cybersecurity is a, is a big part of the job. And mm -hmm. there are certain, you know, certain things that are required from a compliance standpoint, mm -hmm. and ones that are just, just best practices. But can you talk about you know, how you approach from the best practice side? Um, you know, how are you tracking, uh, you know, how are you tracking improvements in your organization's approach to access control? Uh, a book was just recently recommended to me um, how to measure anything in cybersecurity risk. Uh, I forget who the authors are, it's uh, two guys. Um, and even though I'm not done reading it, I think I've read a couple of chapters more than once, mm -hmm. and I, I highly recommend the book. Uh, but in terms of that, it's, um, there are certain things, as you said, regulatory that you have to track the metrics for and report for compliance reasons. But then there are others that have to do with your own strategic outcomes and objective that you have to track. Um, to do that, I think it's that you have to identify and document what exactly your starting point is. What is your baseline and where are you starting from? Um, and then if you're trying to get to Z from Q, for example, you don't have to have metrics tracked all the way from, from Q to Z. Mm -hmm. You can have from Q to Y or X. Um, and so it's about identifying what the objectives are for your particular roadmap. 
um, tracking those metrics and reporting them and then mapping to your strategic outcomes mm -hmm. and then identifying what it is that you need to um, track for operational and um, compliance reasons mm -hmm. and document those as well. So you need to do things like um, time to provision users, um, those kinds of things, but it, it's necessary to check against is this helping us accomplish the mission? Mm -hmm. um, if we were able to um, terminate users you know, within 24 hours, how is that helping the mission? If we're able to provision users within um, a certain metric, how does that help move the mission forward? Because um, security is everyone's uh, responsibility, but not necessarily everyone's job, even for organizations where their work is security. It's not everyone's job. And mm -hmm. so um, just ensuring that we know that whatever metrics we're tracking, we're not just tracking them for tracking reasons, mm -hmm. um, we're able to map them to, mm -hmm. to our objectives and goals. Okay. And Lauren, what, what advice do, do you and do Ping give to, to clients on this about you know, identifying the right metrics and making sure that you have the data you need for, for the future analysis? Yeah, no, I, it's a great question because part of it is, you know, the best user experience generally attributes to the best security we found. And so, you know, if a good experience for registration and for verifying who you are and then authenticating that person with multiple attributes and then ensuring that, you know, your control plane, all that authentication is done under a federated environment, you consider through that entire journey, I had touch points along the way of, you know, who you are, before I know you, before you registered, I have some sense, are you a bot or are you a real person? Then we get into where I use MFA, that lets me you know, get to know you more. And that's, again, yet another signal to be able to say, I know you are before I authenticate. And so that's that authentication journey. And then once authentication, most systems get out of the way once an authentication is done, and that's where the authorization authority starts to play. And I can't tell you enough about the signals, and so consider before I allow you in, I'm gonna check the network to see if the network has a breach, or before I allow you in, I'm gonna reach out to the app and say, is there any sensitive data that I need to be concerned about? Is this app decentralized or centralized? Would I do a different set of policy? And so, uh, just long story short, is it's that journey is probably the most important, and if you can own the, and centralize the authentication journey, and then also, you'll manage the authorization journey. You have touch points all along the way that you can have that insight that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. And um, I mean, this is a question for the, the whole panel, but Josh, we'll start with you. Uh, is trying to work these, you know, these access control and, and authorization improvements into larger IT modernization initiatives. And uh, you know, that's, it's a pretty broad question, but I think if, if you could share some of the lessons learned at, at NIH, uh, you know, maybe from the Strides Initiative or just your, the, the best practice you've been putting in about seizing those opportunities to, to improve uh, um, access control when, when you're upgrading systems. So the, the challenge that many of us run into is that we, you know, we can only control the uh, identities within our organization, mm -hmm. yet we collaborate across organizations yeah. many times. And you have to you know, to Lauren's point, you first have to, you know, identify they are who they say they are. Right. And that's where you have, you know, um, like in-common federations and things of that nature and uh, two-factor authentication. Um, so that, that helps a good bit. But then it's authorization that really is the key there because making sure that the right person has access to the right data. Mm -hmm. 
and the big challenge we see is, especially when we're trying to share data with universities, is they don't all have that same type of you know, income and federation or anything. They don't have multi-factor set up. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, I just need a, you know, AWS account. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, but then you're going to share that with, you know, with your other researchers. Right. And it, it gets very difficult because you got to make sure that other organizations are at the same level you are, and mm -hmm. you can't control that. Sure. Mm -hmm. And, it, and so it jumped into that question without the, the full context. Um, talk just briefly about, like, what the Strides Initiative is and, and who it's intended to work with. So the Strides Initiative was originally created so we could, you know, help researchers get to, to the cloud. So um, we work with universities around the United States. Not, you know, it's not just government entities, but University of Michigan, University of Washington, et cetera. And um, they get discounts through the Strides Initiative. But at the end of the day, they also create a ton of data. And that data is owned by NIH. And then we share it with others. So University of Michigan made generate a petabyte of data, and then University of Washington wants to compute upon it. And so the challenge is making sure that the correct people have access to it. It stays secure, and the integrity stays there as well. Uh, and then there's NIH researchers, they want to compute upon it as well. And so keeping that data secure is, is part of the Strides Initiative because in the beginning we were just like, well, let's generate it all. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, my group kind of came to be, they said, well, hold it, we got to secure this better. We got to make this a platform that we can actually share with each other. And that's where we're, we're going towards now is be able to create that community of sharing the data because it's not as easy as you may think. It's not, it's not just, hey, you have an AWS uh, IAM user. It's thinking through, well, how do we authorize you? How do we make sure you are who you say you are? Yeah. yeah. And, and two, two. You know, FEMA's mission involves working with all sorts of partners across different levels of government. You're, you're interacting with people who are not formally part of the FEMA organization uh, in, in critical times. How, you know, how does that shape the, you know, the access control efforts? Is, is what Joshua was describing, does that, you know, does that sound similar to, to FEMA's approach? It is similar. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're developing a new um, an improved and modernized identity solution. And that journey has been um, a while coming until we partner with other federal governments, SLTTs. Um, and what we're doing is, I think part of that is issuing, um, making sure everyone can do uh, multi-factor, if mm -hmm. not necessarily fission-resistant fission multi-factor authentication. Um, so for our, some of our state uh, partners, we're issuing uh, PVI cards. And so, yeah, we're finding that. Um, but with having a centralized identity solution, which is where we're um, getting to um, soon, mm -hmm. as we've you know, proven the concept recently, um, that will enable us to more accurately know, at least from that front door, who are you? Mm -hmm. um, and are you supposed to be here in, in the first place? Okay. So challenging, but small steps forward um, getting there. Very good. Uh, Lauren, you mentioned something earlier I want to make sure we get, get back to, and that was the, you know, the importance of user experience, that a good user experience leads to better security. And so, you know, I mean, you can pick your, your favorite acronym here, whether it's, <laughs> you know, whether it's IAM, ICAM, PAM, uh, but how can, what kind of impact can, can better access management have on, you know, on the culture within an organization and, and the security that comes from that? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the, the cultural element of identity has been um, fairly new 
I think when you start to look at some of the technologies out there. And I remember I started as a middleware guy, and so everyone says, yeah, what does middleware do? It needs visibleware. It needs actually an interface, and it needs a way to interact. And I took that to note of, is that just you know the login experience? And it isn't. I mean, we did a big project with FIFA around the World Cup, and they explained their problem. They said, I want to onboard all these users. I want to give them secure access to information as well as sell them stuff. And I need to do it across the globe. And so it's not that I can have one um, registration flow or one um, identity verification flow. I need 36 because I've got that many countries that I'm interacting with. And so you think of you know, that journey that someone's on. It's got to be unique to them. Mm -hmm. It's got to actually comply to the environments that they come from. And it has to even use some of the service and the identity verification tools that are there. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at it in the context of culture, um, taking that journey approach and sort of orchestrating the person's experience actually will embrace their culture. Because you actually said, you know what, I'm going to go to your you know, known method for verifying you. If it's a document authentication approach and they have a passport, I'm going to do it with their tools versus force them to something else. And I think that's true for even the government. Um, you said PIV cards earlier. And how do you embrace a PIV card? How do you have a pilot in an airplane and give them a you know, phone option that's disconnected? And that's really because you've thought through the journey, you've thought through the role, and you've thought through the best cultural experience that that role can have. So mm -hmm. hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, absolutely, but yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and Tutu and Joshua, again, seeing some, some nods there. Anything you want to add based on your agency's experience? Well, I'd say that the, uh, if you have a bad user experience, they will find a way around it. And people have, sometimes will spend a lot of time and effort to get around a bad experience. Uh, because it, it just costs them too much, you know, heartache. So, so uh, we've had quite a few times when uh, users didn't like the experience they were getting, and they try to do their own thing, mm -hmm. which is never a good thing for when it comes to security. So, and for our mission, lives are at stake if if we don't do it right. And you want our user base to have a trust of our IT organization. So. Uh, culture um, plays a really big role, mm -hmm. and you want people to, to have a seamless experience when they're utilizing the tools that we're putting in place to let them access the resources they need to accomplish the mission. Very good. Um, so we are just about at time. I want to give each of you a chance for um, a, uh, you know, a, a final thought, either um, you know, a key point that, that you and your organization are working on or, or a point that you wish the broader community would focus on a little bit more when it comes to, to authorization. And, and, and Tutu, we'll start with you. Um, I think for us at FEMA, um, we are on our zero trust journey. And um, the uh, CISA's zero trust maturity model is a helpful tool. Um, I think for everyone, it's just about understanding that uh, the solution that works for agency A is not the magic trick for mm -hmm. agency B. Mm -hmm. And so one man's solution um, is another man's to learn from, but not necessarily implement the exact same way. And so there's a sense of a need maybe to hurry up, but I think we need to take the time to be patient with ourselves. And if we need to plan to the middle, plan to the middle, learn from the mistakes, and um, you know, improve incrementally. Very good. Joshua. I think that we have to, everyone has to rethink how we do uh, identity in general and authorization. I know NIH, we're looking at what that new thing is. So <laughs> we're, we're looking towards what, what the next evolution of it will be. 
but I think when you look at cloud, it's got to be a different mentality than it has been. And we got to think differently the way we do business. Very good. And Lauren, we'll give you the last word. Um, thank you. I, I would just say, you know, there's a trend in the market to take intelligence, and it can either be through machine learning or AI, or it can be getting signals of, you know, context on networks or the kind of usage pattern. And I would say as you're looking at authorization, you know, don't just take the brute force approach. Don't just lock the door and not allow them in. It's this least privilege approach is a, is a good approach, but we need to also think about what am I enabling. So as you're thinking through authorization, think of it in a dynamic way. Think of it of what information can I gather to help establish trust? What information can I gather to help make that user experience better? Thanks for listening, and thank you to our speakers, Joshua Stoltz, Tutu Owaade, and Lauren Russin. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to Caracast, and be sure to listen to our other discussions. If you'd like more information on how Carasoft can assist your organization, please visit www.carasoft.com or email us at fedramp at Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.